Hello and welcome to Bondcast, a podcast series where we discuss our views on the latest themes and events shaping rates markets. I'm Imogen Bakra, European rate strategist, and I'm joined today by our global market specialists, Giles Gale, Theo Chapsalis, and Jan Mavruzzi. Uh, before getting into the discussion today, I just wanted to remind our listeners that if they like today's episode, to hit the like button and don't forget to subscribe so you can get the latest episode as soon as they're available. And if you couldn't tell, uh, well, that's for all of our viewers on YouTube, I'm sure the listeners can't tell, uh, we are wearing our Christmas jumpers and this will be the last Bondcast of the year. Uh, so we're wishing season's greetings to all of our uh, listeners and watchers uh, and we'll be back again in the new year. Right. We've had probably the busiest week of the year, well, the busiest two days of the year with all three major central banks uh, for us on Bondcast making decisions in the last 24 hours. Uh, They were all kind of live meetings. Uh, But Theo, I'm going to start with you because uh, I think that's where we got the biggest surprise, really. We got um, a hike from the Bank of England after the market was pricing less than 50% chance of a hike. so uh, what are your thoughts there? What was the kind of rationale behind that sort of surprise hike, if you like? Well, I guess the BOE, they want to make things exciting for us. And they wanted to give us, you know, one last kick uh, before Christmas. Um, I think the point that you make is very, very relevant. We, we had really a meeting where there was around 35% probability of a hike in the price. We received comments from BOE members earlier in the month from Saunders, for example, who was a big hawk. And he mentioned Omicron and the possible implications of Omicron and possibly the, the rationale and, and, and the logic to wait a little bit. So um, the market thought that the, the, the hike is not coming. Uh, we thought actually that in December, the hike is not coming. Uh, we thought that the hike would come in February. However, the BOE, they, they made a very clear point and that was inflation. So they received the inflation numbers. They've got a specific permission to access the inflation numbers before you know, a meeting. Uh, they, they, they access those numbers, they look at them, they look at inflation and yeah, I mean, CPI is at 5.1%. To them, there is a threat that inflation expectations will, will become um, you know, unhinged. Uh, the anchor will be lost. It is very interesting because it happens at a time when some of those uh, inflation forwards have actually moved down. So uh, there were moments when the BOE could have been a lot more worried about it, um, but they are definitely worried now. So this is one. The other point is that the labor market has shown substantial progress. This is important. Now, the labor market was always one reason for the BOE to be on the patient side. But now that we have the labor market and inflation being strong, they feel that there is not much reason to wait. They mentioned Omicron and the minutes show that they really thought well about it. And they know that Omicron will have a downside impact on growth. But as things stand from the balance of risk to them, it makes sense hiking now and then possibly take an approach of a slower hiking cycle but there is a need to hike and that, you know, that modest tightening that they are signaling that, well, they wanted to commence it from right now. So you mentioned there are a slower hiking cycle. What does today's move imply then for 
policy in 2022? And, and really there I'm thinking about A, what do you think about uh, a hike or not in February? And then beyond that, I guess, where do you think rates, bank rate finishes the year by the end of 2022? We think a hike in February um, is quite likely. Uh, it is difficult to say that it is a given. The market right now assigns a probability of 80% for a hike. Maybe it is somewhere in the 65 to 70%. So there is a high probability. Uh, not sure whether this would be an 80%. To us, the BOE, they will probably hike towards the, that 0.75% by the end of the year, by the end of 2022. Um, but it can be, and this is this, just mind that the BOE, they do change their opinion quite frequently. So it can be that we talk about a hiking cycle where that takes a bit longer. Some more hikes are delivered in 2023 and then we end up with a bank rate, which is slightly above 1%, but that happens through hikes in 2023. So to us, there is definitely hikes are going to come. The BOE will keep a very close eye on the evolution of Omicron and any downside effects. But the important part is that if this is only growth specific and if we talk about you know just 0.5 percent on growth uh, in a specific quarter that it's not something lasting and at the same time inflation continues to be really so high uh then we think that the BOE that will well they will have obviously to act right so we talk about hikes in 2022 possibly a bit slower than what the market prices in but then we envision hikes also in 2023 what are the market implications then about, I guess, today's decision and kind of what you imply for, for the year ahead? And, and how does that then fit against, um, you know, the kind of trade themes that, that you've been writing out about in the year ahead, for example? Yeah, I think one, one big theme for us is really, um, you know, gills relative to other markets. And we've been uh, strong supporters of gills relative to other markets up until, well, um, roughly 10 days ago. To us, it's, um, you know, that, that guild strength um, has gone. And we've seen today a significant underperformance versus bonds and treasuries. And I don't think that, you know, the other central banks were particularly dovish. It is just the relative hawkishness uh, that, that came from the UK that made guilds underperform. So we think that guilds probably will continue to underperform um, Mind that the negative net one story that we had for the previous three weeks um, is, 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 has run its course. So net one even though supply will be, well, supply will be nothing from now to the year end, but also at the beginning of the year, supply will be low. But we will not have QE, in which case this negative net one across different weeks is something we won't have. So gills probably to weaken, curve potentially steeper, the, the way that we like uh, expressing our, our view here is through wider back and break events. And we think that this is something that can play out. Uh, we think that the market really needs to look at, you know, more inflation premium being priced at the back end of the curve, uh, conventional rates uh, weaker. Uh, and the other point is really those 28 billion that are supposed to be reinvested uh, in March. Uh, well, if we do have a Feb hike, then they will not be reinvested. And this is, this is just huge because we talk about around 15 million a basis point um, you know, of DVO1 that will not come to the market. 
if that does not come back in the market through additional buying, um, and mind that that timing was a timing of, of, of low uh, gross issuance. So if, if, if that, that QE buying does not come in the market, then obviously we talk about a steeper curve, we talk about wider back and break even, we talk about cheaper spreads, we talk about all those themes. So these are themes that um, we will, like I said, um, we're not gonna have absolutely all possible trades and all possible views on the table. So one expression that everybody would like is uh, on the BE side, break even. Great, thank you, Theo. All right, over to you then, Giles, because I think that the ECB was probably the next in line of our three of, of most interesting central banks in the last 24 hours. Uh, we learned a lot about you know, the future of PEP, or, or rather the not so long future of PEP, uh, and then the APP. Um, how did that fit versus kind of what you're expecting going into the meeting? Pretty well, to be honest with you. I mean, basically what they said was, I think, you know, very much in line with our expectations for the for the year ahead. I think that the main difference was that they were much more forthright about the way that um, they they set out the path for next year. They've actually set out pretty much an, a whole path for quantitative easing for the foreseeable future, actually. Now, we thought that they would be possibly, you know, that they, they'd tell us that we expect to do this for Q2 and then we'll take it as it comes, we'll be data dependent and so on. Um, but they didn't do that. They, you know, in the press conference, she, uh, Lagarde being she, um, <laughs> President mm -hmm. Lagarde, um, you know, reiterated the, the fact, which should be obvious to everyone, that they are data dependent, of course, but they chose to state that they will end PEP in in March, we thought that they wouldn't they wouldn't be no that, that wouldn't just be a statement that that would be a strong expectation um, that they would then that they would uh, reduce PEP by the way in the first quarter of next year and I think there was a, there was a Bloomberg headline that, uh, that 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 suggested maybe it would be a moderate reduction but actually that wasn't their language it was just that it was going to be reduced at a slow and so it'll be at a slower pace for, for next year but then they set out essentially that in Q2 they'll be doing 40 billion per month then they'll be doing 30 billion for the next for the following quarter and then in the fourth quarter and for the foreseeable future thereafter 20 billion. Okay, what does that do? Well, essentially what it does is it, you know, it, it means that there's really very, you know, all, all the uncertainty uh, up to obviously, you know, significant economic shocks, um, there's significant deviations from their, uh, their, their economic baseline. You know, all, the, all the uncertainty is, is, is now resolved. Um, you know, so I think that this will reduce volatility after a period of adjustment next year. And it significantly pushes back on the, any, any thought of a rate hike in 2022 because, of, of course, there's a sequencing thing where they promise not to raise rates until they have finished with quantitative easing in the sense of they've stopped the net, uh, the, the net additions to their, to their asset purchase programs. <laughs> that was just what I wanted to pick up on, really, because I think the markets kind of took this as a, a hawkish meeting, you know, we saw spreads widen and we saw rates higher. Um, and I think they were perhaps very focused on this kind of 
concrete end to PEP and the fact that, you know, we've got this schedule of, of tapering down the APP. Uh, but actually, you know, the ECB wanted to make a lot about the flexibility of reinvestment. I think flexibility was really the keyword of the day. Is that, you know, a powerful tool, do we think? And, and how just how powerful can it be? Right. Yeah. I mean, I think the markets are right to have taken this um, the, this as moderately hawkish. And you know, I'd like to stress that that was our base case for this meeting. Now, you know, uh, in a sense, the, the markets have reacted, certainly in the direction that we were expecting. Perhaps the move has been a little bit more muted than, than we'd thought. And I think that by the time people you know, have time to, to digest and you know, we're out of this year-end phase, which is a little bit tricky anyway, I think actually that there will be a significant move that's sort of pent up because the the change in quantitative easing and therefore the the the, the you know, the, the, the difference in the total sort of weight of supply that needs to be absorbed by the market is going to be really significant next year. Um, to come back to your question on the on the flexibilities, yeah, I mean, I, you know, something that we've been repeating a lot is that you really only need to think you know to, to think about two you know, two big numbers for, for for next year when it comes to ECB policy and and so on. One is the half a trillion, more or less. You know, Call it half a trillion that uh, you know of more bonds that will have to be absorbed by the by the market overall, and that should be bearish for rates. Um, no, in addition to the, I know, the other bearish fundamentals of higher growth, higher inflation, and so on, you know, that should be bearish for rates. But four hundred billion is the total kind of flexibility that they have to play with just in the reinvestments between the APP and the PEPP, and. No, if they are willing to, um, to to use that reasonably no, reasonably freely, then no, that will be a significant protection. But the other thing is, and this was something I think which wasn't necessarily immediately obvious in the in the statement, but which Lagarde came back to when you know, she has this habit of reading us back the statement just in case we didn't actually properly appreciate what was in there from the uh, from the start. And this was actually one of those times when uh, I think the extra emphasis was probably justified. She was just pointing out that the flexibility you know, that the pledge is that they will act flexibly. Um, in, in 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 all respects, it's not limited in any sense to um, just the reinvestments or anything like that. And so this was in response to a question about, you know, don't we need new flexibilities in the APP? You know, this is the you know the, the standard quantitative easing program because they had all these rules around limits um, for issue you know, for individual bond issues and uh, and bond issuers, how much are they actually allowed to buy of each? Um, and so you know, there's always this concern that they might run in, you know, they, they might not be able to buy stuff. And you know, she basically just batted that back to saying, listen, you know, read it carefully. We will be flexible if we need to be. Yeah, flexible enough, it seems like to me. Um, so then just the final thing that, you know, I, I think we might have expected maybe a little bit more discussion at least on was on TLTRAs. Um, you know, we have this liquidity cliff, essentially, when the minimum rate expires in June 2022. Um, what are your thoughts on anything that she said there? Well, essentially, they didn't really address it. They just said that they would be looking at it. I mean, I suppose that they had such a lot of, you know, so, so, 
They had so much to think about just on the on the QE side that maybe this was just an easy one to to shunt into to, in, into next year. So, you know, I think your base case now is that they will just let TLTROs run their course as they currently um, are planned. So that you know, that funding cliff, if you like, when you know we expect banks will be aggressively repaying the the money that they borrowed because the you know the, the, this incentive rate of minus one percent that they are currently paying will expire in June, and so you know then you know maybe a billion, in fact a trillion or something of of, of liquidity might just um, might just get paid back to the, to the ECB by banks. They just go, yeah, I don't want it at the uh, at minus half, but no, I was perfectly happy to have it at minus one. So. So I think your base case is that that just can that that just expires and that the the liquidity cliff is a is a real thing, but there is a significant liquidity buffer anyway. So now that probably isn't going to concern them too much, and I think that one thing that they may come to at that point is um, there's they have this other tool which they haven't really used since they introduced it. Um, or they haven't tweaked it since they introduced it, which is the tiering multiplier, which is basically a way to protect um, to protect banks from the excess liquidity, which drains back at a, a, a which which banks are essentially forced to lend back to the ECB at a at a very disadvantageous rate. And you know, if they are taking away something that's beneficial to banks via the TLTRO, they might choose to give it back. Um, via the, via more more of a tiering allowance, and that for the front end could be viewed as quite significant. Um, so, I think that that is the kind of technical discussion that I will just leave as a teaser, <laughs> rather than go into and, uh, and and ruin everyone's Christmas. <laughs> if anyone wants to ask about that, you know, you know where we are. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm going to say they know where you are. <laughs> Ah, yes. Okay. <laughs> <Thank> you, <Imogen. laughs> All right. On that exciting note, then, um, over to you then, Jan. It feels like the Fed was so long ago, even though it was only just last night. Uh, so I'm hoping that you are going to provide the perfect refresher for us all. Um, what did we learn really from the Fed, you know, in the release in terms of the tape schedule, the dot plot, everything like that? Yeah, I don't know if I'll be able to meet the thrilling money market discussion from Giles, but, uh, <laughs> but back to the to the Fed. So, so a couple of things, and it was it was certainly an eventful meeting, right? Uh, the first threshold that was passed was the announcement of doubling of the pace of taper. That's pretty much what we expected. Uh, market consensus was for doubling by the time we got to the meeting after both Powell and a lot of FOMC members alluded to that. So we got that. That was no surprise, which basically now tells us that taper is set to end mid-March. Second, uh, we got the, the updated dot plot, the, the forecasts of each uh, board member and where they see rate hikes. And that was, I would think, the most hawkish surprise uh, from what we got last night. Next year, the median dot shows three hikes now, uh, up from a half. And the year after that also shows three. That really, uh, the release caught markets a little bit off guard on that, which pushed the front end yields much higher. Uh, thinking that the Fed's going to go, you know, much faster, even than the faster pricing that we had in the market. And then uh, we also got the updated economic forecast, which again, surprising, hawkish, because the inflation, both core and headline uh, PC numbers were marked noticeably higher 
despite the increased rate hike forecasts. So there's a clear acknowledgement that uh, inflation is not going to be as, not necessarily not as, uh, uh, you know, transient, but more so, you know, sticky and, you know, they have to admit that it was a lot more than what they expected, despite uh, the fact that it might kind of like slow down next year. So it felt definitely the, the release itself was uh, more hawkish than what people were looking for. What about the presser then? Did Powell kind of reiterate that kind of hawkish rhetoric in, in what he said? Yeah, so one thing, one very important thing to keep in mind, uh, and what I thought the presser would do exactly what, what happened was that the market was positioned and was expecting a very hawkish outcome from uh, from Powell. You know, just because every day going to the into the Fed meeting, we were kind of like building up expectations that he's going to basically go out there and say, you know, we're ready to go. We're going to act ASAP. I'm not saying he, he, you know, he wasn't hawkish in the press, but I think it was certainly less hawkish than what people expected. And I think to me that makes sense because we, this Fed has been very focused on kind of risk management. They've been focused on kind of delivering things in small bits. I mean, look how long it took for, for the tapering announcement to be to be made, you know, the market was prepared. Well, despite now we have the backdrop of much stronger inflation, I don't think there's a there was a reason for them to go ahead and say, you know, we're about to hike, you know, we're about to we're about to go. So what Powell said was that they're they're planning on uh, lifting rates not long after. Uh, uh, so his the words used were there was not going to be an extended wait after the end of taper until rate hikes. So what does that leave us? I mean, there's a meeting 16th of March. Are they going to hike the day after taper is ended? I, I doubt it will be that quick. To me, it kind of gives a feeling of uh, almost like being put in a corner, more panicky. Uh, but that, that definitely opens the room for uh, May or June hikes. And uh, I can come back to that later. But it would, you know, with the dot plots and the communication, we have also kind of changed our expectations for three hikes for next year for June, starting from June. Yeah, perhaps you could just shed a bit more light on that. So three hikes next year, um, and that's up from how many did we have previously? Uh, so we had September and December previously. Uh, in light of the in light of the faster taper expectations, we added another one in September. And now, given the, where the dot plot is, and given kind of like how strong the inflation prints have been coming, and the communication we got from the Fed, we have added another one for June for a total of three next year. And then we have uh, one for one per quarter in 2023 and another one in 2024, uh, which still, you know, if we actually get that amount of hikes, it's still above market pricing. Okay, so I guess same question um, to you then to wrap up as, as what I said to Theo at the end, how does this fit with uh, your kind of market outlook into next year? And particularly, I guess, with regard to the themes that you've been talking about a lot in the year ahead with you know, bearish rates, but being led by the belly and therefore a kind of 530s flatter. Yeah, going to next year, into 2022, we are going to maintain the 530s flatter and even things like two stands. But I think 530s here definitely makes sense because, and the forward markets, obviously with what we have uh, in the front end is expecting uh, a lot of you know, shift higher in the, in the front end up to the belly. Uh, but we're going to maintain that view. I mean, into year end, Liquidity is going to fall off. There could be even uh, tactical opportunities to for the curve to steepen. But our core view remains of a steepener. We just think that the challenge is not so much how quickly the Fed is going to deliver because we have three hikes for next year already priced in. 
I don't think, you know, there, there, it makes, there's a lot of good risk reward there to, to challenge that into a four hikes. But I think what the, the better opportunity is in uh, looking into a little bit further down the curve and say, okay, well, you know, the market's pricing one and a half, 1.6% as kind of like the terminal, the, the rate that where the Fed's going to end the cycle. If inflation's coming at these numbers and they're committed to kind of acting and they want to be credible under the fate mandate, I think they might have to revisit that 1.6% assumption and say like two, two and a half, you know, like lift that terminal rate expectations, which in turn should also lift the kind of like the belly of the curve and, and you know, be a kind of like a catalyst for our five studies core flattener. So we're going to stick with that view, you know, hawkish uh, in front end belly rates lifted by the, uh, and the curve flattened by the, by the belly. All right, great. Well, that's probably all we've got time for today. I think we went a little bit long, but there was a lot to talk about. So thank you all for joining me today. Uh, and I'd just like to remind our listeners that if you liked today's episode, don't forget to hit the like button and subscribe so you can get all of our latest episodes as soon as they're available. And as I said at the beginning of the pod, this, our, this is our last one uh, for the year. So season's greetings to all of our listeners uh, and watchers, and we'll catch up with you in the new year. Thanks.